The GameCube Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube Was Cool. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of January at the $5 or above level. Ira Bell, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, Tristan Pantorato, Resident Evil Collector, and Wilshire. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, Mike, I was going through the grocery store the other day, and I noticed that there's a quite a few uh, options for craft dinner or macaroni and cheese. Uh, if you don't have craft dinner, uh, I don't know if that's a Canadian thing specifically. It's probably the most famous meal that Canadians eat, other than poutine. Other than poutine, yeah, for sure. Craft dinner is like the easiest go-to meal. Like it's kind of like our ramen noodles. Like every time someone says that they're on a college budget, uh, they eat a lot of ramen noodles. For for us, we always said KD. Yep. It's like a buck a box or whatever it is. Uh, delicious meal. Um, but I have to ask you, I don't know this about you. Do you ever eat craft left leftover craft dinner? Is that something that you dabble with? Because there's some people out there who will not eat it when it's leftover. It definitely changes in texture and taste if you leave it out for, for too long. That's a good question. That's an excellent question, Neil. Mm-hmm. We, we, ask, we ask important questions We here. ask the, the real questions that, <laughs> but that reporters don't want to ask. You know, we're, we're, we're finding the truth about, about everybody. And I would say, no, I'm not a fan of the leftover craft dinner. It mm. just, there's something about it when it's fresh and hot. Yeah. And that just like the cheese is melted in a perfect way, you know. Mm. Uh, but when you have it later... It's, yeah. it feels like the only time you would ever have it later if is if like you just need a meal filler before, I don't know, going somewhere really quickly. But even then, yeah. you know, you're like, oh God, I don't want this. This yes. is like the lesser version. <laughs> you see, I'm very, I can't believe you use the word cheese because it's not really like you said, the cheese is dry. That's very bold to call it cheese. Whatever powder that stuff that comes yeah. in there, it's uh, it's interesting like for cheese. sure. You see, for me, my mom used to make us craft dinner to take to school. So that is basically leftover craft dinner. She'd put it like in a thermos. Which is, it's not the type of food you want to eat out of a thermos because it all just hardens. Congeals. Yeah, it congeals and it becomes basically like a jello. It, yeah. it, it's not even macaroni and cheese <laughs> you anymore. You like pour it out and it's just like one slab yeah. of, of macaroni oh, that's coming out. It's it kind of looks like the canned cranberry sauce or something, like spam, yeah. basically. It's, it's not good. They made that microwavable macaroni and cheese that I had in grade seven for a little bit. I don't know why I ate that crap, man. It was so bad. But, uh, yeah. but if you, my mom didn't trust me with the stove when I was 12 years old, so I had to do something to get my right. craft dinner fix. Uh, but that, that that's interesting. I'm glad to know that, uh, that I'm glad to know a little bit more about you today. Um, <laughs> good piece of mic trivia there. Uh, I was poking around at work the other day, and uh, I found this interesting article. I have no idea if this is going to work, by the way, as a podcast, but uh, it got me down a rabbit hole, to say the least, and it's 25 words that are their own opposites. Okay. Yeah. So Explain. Yeah. So, like, for an example uh, here, we have oversight. Uh, oversight is the noun from two verbs uh, with contrary meanings. So, oversee and overlook. So, like, when you oversee something, it means that you're monitoring something. Uh, if you're, like, in a stealth game, you're being overseen by guards and uh, watchtowers and whatnot. But it can also mean like if it's an oversight, it could mean something that you completely missed. That was like a missed, uh, you didn't see it at all. So it's like a bunch of words like this that are just like their opposites. And it just broke my brain. It's breaking my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend you go and check out like, this article. What? It's yeah, like words that are their own opposites. Like another one is dust. Like if you want to dust off like home plate and baseball, you're removing dust. But if you dust a cake, you're adding dust to the cake. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. Oh, that is breaking my brain. Those are good shower thoughts. Yeah. I would, oh, <laughs> yeah. It lengthens the shower from 10 minutes to half an hour yeah. right away just by thinking that. I think That's we what can... Kramer's thinking of in the shower. That's why his, his showers took so long. But we know that in Seinfeld, Kramer has no internal monologues. He has no dialogue scenes ever, which is an interesting fact. Huh, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, where George, Jerry, and Elaine all do. I'm glad everything goes back to Seinfeld in this oh, yeah. podcast. Seinfeld, Star Wars, and SpongeBob probably is where, where everything returns to for us. And food, specifically, mainly fruit. We haven't had a fruit topic in a while. I think we need to remedy that situation sometime soon. Let's come up with for one next week. But, uh, <laughs> Mike, before we do that, we do have a Patreon topic to talk about today. Remember, listeners, if you want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash thegamecubewascool. Supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. A Wilshire uh, wrote into us today asking a great question here, which is, I was wondering if there are any games you played growing up that you loved at the time, but playing them again more recently ended up not liking them at all. Mm. On the flip side uh, of that, are there any games that you didn't like as a kid, but now like uh, after you've tried them as an adult? Mm. Keep up the good work and happy new year. Happy New Year. And of course, we do know that uh, it's too late to wish a happy New Year uh, after is it? It's Mike's birthday. So after January 8th, it's far too late, Wilshire. But we'll we'll let it slide <laughs> since this comment did come in before Mike's birthday. Yes, obviously. yes, so, it was before he, he they, yeah. they got it right. <laughs> That's fine. So no more Happy New Year's. Sorry, now. The holidays are over. We can go back to being uh, miserable until yeah. next Christmas. <laughs> uh, I'll kick it off here. Yeah. Uh, a couple games here that come to mind uh, really is recently late 2021. We finally got N64 games on the Switch eShop. Shop. And uh, the N64 is a beloved console that I played a ton of when I was young. We got it Christmas of 99, so I would have been six years old. And that was our console until uh, my birth, my 11th birthday, so 2004. The N64 was our main household console. And mm. uh, this isn't a game specifically, but I just got to say that entire generation does not age particularly well. The N64 and the PS1, those early 3D games are really rough to go back to. Polygonal. Yeah, the polygonal like games. Like the first game that I pulled up, I uh, was, you know, with my girlfriend on the couch. I was like, oh, let's play. She likes Mario Kart. So I was like, oh, let's play Mario Kart 64. This is like one of my all time favorite N64 games. And I'm not going to I'm not going to go and say that I don't love it anymore. I obviously have major nostalgia for Mario Kart 64. But playing it today, like after having, you know, GameCube's Double Dash and the Wii U and, and the Switch versions and everything, like they've come so far from Mario Kart 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game just looks rough uh the the frame rate dips like crazy the characters are all super flat the environments don't look great and that this is a game that i played for hours and hours as a kid that just i can't say for sure that i want to play it for hours and hours anymore we've come such a long way which is which is sad to say but unfortunately the n64 generation comes to mind right away for you um how about you mike what what uh, what games did you play as a kid that you loved that now you're kind of like eh, maybe not well, so N64 era, obviously the joke is here, I uh, I hate the N64. You hate everything about it. So that... I just hate it all. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you basically said everything I was going to say about that. Uh, but for other stuff, this may be super controversial. So get ready for this, Neil. But mm. the old Pokemon games, um, oh. they're actually not very fun to play anymore. And that's mostly because of how you're playing them. So if you're playing them on a Game Boy Color, mm-hmm. it's not fun because that screen is so small. Okay. And uh, you don't realize that as a kid because that's all you have. But now our eyes are so adjusted to bigger things. Yeah. Uh, like tablets and everything, right? Everything mm-hmm. should be kind of tablet-sized in our minds. Sure. And so playing these games on a Game Boy Color really does not hold up anymore. Like playing mm-hmm. them on emulator, sure. And honestly, I think like Let's Go, uh, mm-hmm. those and those versions of them, I think 
they're probably the better way to play red and blue. Wow. Like, today, I, I know, I know, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. I don't know but, if I uh, agree with that right off the okay. bat. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's they're, okay. They're very different, but I know what you're saying, like just the way the games look. Like Game Boy is kind of lumped in with uh, with N64 in that it... But Game Boy Color specifically, mm. right? Because okay. the Game Boy Color, and which is how you and I, I believe, played it, uh, mm-hmm. was that screen is smaller than the Game Boy screen. It and, is. And people forget about that. Mm-hmm. It is tiny. Like it was funny when I got my PSP back in the day. Going from that and then back to Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance, even was just like I don't want to do this. It's like I'm playing on a little postage stamp of a of a screen. So yeah. I definitely see what you're saying. For me, the early Pokemon games are tough to go back to mainly because of experience points sharing, which is in yeah, the new Pokemon too. games where you get experience points and all of your Pokemon share it somewhat evenly. I think I haven't played a new Pokemon game in a while, but the old Pokemon games you would. You would, you know, beat about, you would beat another trainer or you'd beat a wild Pokemon and only the Pokemon that was left out on the field gets those experience points. So it took hours to level up your team enough to, uh, to go and finally beat Brock, the first gym boss, which takes everyone the longest. Yeah. So, uh, they have improved some of the quality of life uh, for Pokemon games and I can, I can see how it's tough to go back to the old ones. Um, it's tough. I haven't played an old Pokemon game in a while, but uh, maybe I'll try and go back and see. Uh, Speaking of PSP, though, uh, a game that I really liked back in the day uh, is Spider-Man 3 on PSP, which is where I played it, uh, based on the movie Spider-Man 3, which uh, the beloved Spider-Man 3, the best of the trilogy, I think most people say. (laughs) (laughs) I love emo, emo Toby. Oh, so good, man. So that dance scene was so good. Um, But uh, I, I got that game, I think, for my birthday or with gift cards or something. So I specifically remember playing that game from like, November, early November until Christmas, basically that year. I think I might have close to 100% of that game. Like I beat wow. every gang, like I beat every boss. I unlocked every power up or whatever that you could get. Uh, I, I remember playing that game in the car, like after school. I remember my dad driving me to uh, take your kid to work day. I was playing Spider-Man 3 on PSP. <laughs> Absolutely adoring that game. Only a couple years later, once YouTube and reviews gets big and you start to find out some of the worst games of generations and everything, only to find out that Spider-Man 3 is lumped in there as being like a terrible game. So mm. uh, I haven't gone back to it on PSP since then, but I remember really liking just, just having the ability to play a 3D Spider-Man game on the go was just so novel. Uh, being huge fans of Spider-Man 2 and Ultimate Spider-Man, to have something like this that I could play in the car was so cool. Uh, I would absolutely love a 3D Spider-Man game on Switch. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see that, but if we got something like Spider-Man 3 on Switch, but good, I would, I would, oh, you would never hear from me again. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because Spider-Man 2 would also be, I, I, I brought this up multiple times, but Spider-Man 2 for me, I remember it as a kid and thinking it was good and playing it couple years ago i just really was disappointed and i know that's also an unpopular opinion but uh, i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that i also had ultimate spider-man which Mm -hmm. i just thought was better in a lot of different ways um and also the fact that like you know that was one of the first open world kind of style games in that sense and now just like everything has surpassed it Mm -hmm. so you know it's these games you know most of these games and twilight princess is i'm sure going to be one of them as well that i have my list here that i Mm -hmm. haven't played in the last couple years but I'm sure I'm going to play it and be disappointed, even though it's one of my favorite Zelda games, just because of how far that franchise has come. I'm always scared to go back to things that I loved as a kid or I have yep. fond memories <laughs> for, like an album, a movie, a game, a show, just anything. Like you never really know what you're going to get because it really is a place in time. Going uh, back to Monster by Mistake was a big mistake. Ooh, yeah, that's a bad one. That's rough. Even <laughs> even like Beast Wars, which is a show that I love, even now it's like, oh, this is not how I remember it. <laughs> no, no, no. Because a lot of it is associated with a place in time. But there's also there were there are games that you know are the opposite, like Wilshire said. So there's games that I didn't like as a kid, but I do like now as an adult. Okay. Um, and a couple of those 
uh, were ones that I just played a bit or played through with other people, and I didn't understand them, like Knights of the Old Republic. Oh. You know, I, I knew the game was good, but mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it playing it as a 10-year-old, right, with right. my cousin. I, I remember liking it, but not not wanting to play it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it came to Switch this year, and I was like, you know what, I really want to dive into this. I want to remember how good this game is. And, you know, that didn't disappoint, right? That made right. it so it was actually a lot better in my mind than, uh, than I had it before. So that's a good example for me. Sometimes you really do need to just wait on a game until you have a little bit more experience with like with video games. Like if you're a kid and you're just getting into video games, maybe you start with a 2D game like Mario or Tetris and then Dark Souls. Dark Souls, great (laughs) starting point, you know. Oh, man. Imagine showing a kid Dark Souls for their first experience. My God. Uh, but yeah, like, like, and then you gotta, you have to graduate up slowly. Like, I think if you do play Dark Souls or something for the very first time, you're not going to have a good time. You might get no. turned off video games completely. So, uh, if you don't have somebody like a friend or an older brother to kind of guide you, uh, to, to, to play games that you might like, you, you might be yep. completely screwed in getting into the hobby. Um, for, for me, when I was a kid, my brother was really into, um, first person shooters. Uh, like we played Goldeneye, we played Perfect Dark, uh, mainly James Bond and Perfect Dark on N64 and even Turok, we'd borrow games like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I remember him saying like, you know, I, I don't like third person shooters. So as a result, we rarely ever had any third person shooters in the house. And I kind of just, you know, younger brother syndrome, I just sort of went ahead with whatever he said. And I was like, yeah, I don't like third person shooters either. So I ended up missing out on some really good third-person shooters back in the day. Uh, like we've talked about Resident Evil 4. I didn't play that until way later. And even some of the third-person shooter Bond games because we were too busy playing Nightfire. I missed out on From Russia With Love, Everything or Nothing. Some really good third-person shooters that uh, are classics, really. And yep. um, I finally did eventually, you know, uh, in the seventh generation of video games like PS3, uh, I played almost exclusively third-person games, action adventure games, shooters, uh, some of my favorite games of all time, uh, Last of Us, Dead Space, um, obviously Spider-Man games, but like Uncharted, like I was almost only playing third person shooters on PS3 because they were so mm-hmm. much fun. So just an entire genre really that I didn't like as a kid, I eventually came around on. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's, I, I would agree with that. I was, I was in a similar vein as well. Mm-hmm. Although I did really like Resident Evil 4 as a kid, I played it a lot. That was one of the only mature games I had. Uh, and the last one I have here is I hated Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Oh, as a kid, okay. I had the DS version of that that mm-hmm. they put out, and I remember just not liking it at all. It just did not appeal to me. Maybe it just was the time, and I traded in to um, to GameStop. And was that Bowser's Inside Story, or did you get the Partners in Time one? Partners forever? in Time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if and, that and one is. I don't know how that's actually one reviews. reviewed quite well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, I I have played it like somewhat recently and i was like oh man this is actually a really good game (laughs) (laughs) so i'm kind of bummed that i that i i I got rid of it when i did but you know it's like you said it's all about place and time it's all about where you are when you play some of these games Mm -hmm. and if you're playing it with someone as well to kind of guide you through yeah absolutely like one one more like genre i guess of games that i unfortunately missed out on was the nes generation i was past that like our first console was the super nintendo and i eventually went back and got us uh an nes way later and i couldn't get into it like i couldn't get into mario and zelda and Mega Man, and uh it just felt old it just felt antiquated even though those games are beloved like we talked a lot about uh the original zelda back in our our wind waker episode and and someone commented saying that the original zeldas are are, and one and two are great like shut up (laughs) yeah exactly i couldn't take all the whining about the original zelda games but recently uh, especially with like indie games and the nintendo uh switch uh online service i've been getting into nes ports of games like i recently picked up the Mega Man legacy collection i've been playing zelda 2 on on the switch 
virtual uh, network, which has been fantastic. And even some of the indie games, like if I see an indie game that's in the 8-bit style NES generation, I'm like, perfect. This is exactly what I want to play right now. It's basic. It's 2D. I know what to do. Uh, I talked a lot about like Habroxia 2 that I played late last year. Just beat it. That game is really good. I highly recommend people out there pick it up. And I just bought The Messenger, which is another 8-bit style game uh, in the same vein as like Ninja Gaiden, uh, action-heavy 2D game set in the uh, 8-bit style uh, of the NES, same chippy music, and it looks like a game that would have come out back in 1988, but instead it came out like in 2018, and uh, this is what I'd rather be playing right now instead of like the newest Far Cry or something. So <laughs> I'm, I've come yeah. around on a complete generation of games uh, from literally like 30 to 40 years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. But thank you so much, Wilshire, for that topic. We really appreciate it. And uh, listeners, remember, uh, if you support us on Patreon, don't forget to send us yours as well. But there is another way that people can write into us, and it's by leaving a rating or review on whatever podcast service you listen to us on. If it's Apple Podcast or Spotify, just leave us a little review there, and we will read it on the podcast. We don't have any for today, so let's just jump right into the episode, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 80 of the Gamekeeper School podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 361 games. You can visit thegamecubeascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered a bunch of Mario Party games that did not feature Mario at all. They were just straight-up party <laughs> games. Uh, but there was one game that featured Mario, technically, so it was the party game episode. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are covering a bunch of stealth games on the GameCube. We're going to be talking about Hitman and Rogue Ops and a bunch of other games here. Games that really just kept our appetites wet while we uh, waited for the next James Bond game. Stealth games were very synonymous with, with this generation. We were getting games like Metal Gear Solid. We were getting the... Tom Clancy games, and we were getting uh, Hitman games as well, which we're excited to talk about today. Uh, but before we dive into the games, uh, let's talk a little bit about stealth games in general. Mike, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I mean, the stealth game genre is really just something that is nowadays more in other games than having its own standalone games today. And what we mean by stealth really is, you know, sneaking up behind someone and killing them that way, uh, sneaking around and not getting detected, looking mm -hmm. for cameras, making sure that you can reach objective points in a certain way. And really the stealth game kind of evolves from a game that we were talking about last week, which is Pac-Man and maze mm -hmm. games. That's yeah. kind of where stealth came from in the uh in the early 1980s and the whole idea was uh just being able to get around something to reach an objective mm -hmm. and you know this is some of the earliest style of gameplay especially this this top down view where you uh kind of see uh almost a radar style you see where someone's uh, uh field of vision is mm -hmm. we think of this from the metal gear uh series that this, they kind of really honed on honed that craft and did it extremely well and basically everyone has copied uh, metal gear since then as well as um wolfenstein castle wolfenstein which was mm -hmm. a, a very stealth focused game at the time and stealth games have really kind of gone up and down there's been obviously a ton of different franchises like of course i mentioned the metal gear series and uh you mentioned the splinter cell series mm -hmm. which are probably the two biggest uh, franchises in, in the stealth genre. There's also, of course, Hitman, which is probably one of the only ones that's continued uh, in, the, in in this, uh, this era. Mm -hmm. uh, Deus Ex is one of my favorite stealth games uh, where not everyone would consider that stealth, but you have the choice to at least basically play the entire game as a stealth style. 
mm-hmm. which is really what I think stealth games should be, but we'll we'll get into that later. And of yeah. course, there's the Thief um, series. I've never actually played Thief, and I've always wanted to. Yeah, me neither. It's a game that I see everywhere. Like Thief yeah. on PS3 <laughs> is literally everywhere. It looks interesting enough. Stealth games date back a long time, though, almost to yes. the very birth of video games. You mentioned Pac-Man, which is a little bit of a sneak game, but it's not like for me, stealth means that you also need to remain quiet and remain hidden where Pac-Man yes. is mainly just avoiding the enemy, which is which just where kind of where stealth started, but just the ability mm-hmm. to vo- avoid enemies because there was no sound really or anything like that back in the day. Yeah, exactly. But the the first stealth game, at least as far back as, as we can find here is, uh, was back in 1979. Um, it was, uh, it was basically, it was, the game was called shoplifting boy. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Your job was to uh, go into a convenience store and basically steal things uh, and avoid being caught uh, awesome. by the by the owner. Yeah, the first the first stealth game was literally just you stealing from a convenience store. Uh, it was on the PET 2001 personal computer. So this is years before uh, games being on NES and uh, later on PC and everything. Uh, for me, stealth games, I've never played like a full, I don't think I've played like a stealth game. Uh, I prefer it when stealth is an element in a game, like in the Arkham in the Arkham series. Uh, yeah. Stealth is huge. Uh, as Batman, you got to sneak around in the shadows. Even in Spider-Man games, stealth is is an uh, is an aspect as well of those games. So I prefer it when it's an element in the game instead of being uh, the entire game. Uh, although researching for this week, uh, Hitman has definitely caught my eye, especially the more recent ones, the ones from 2016 up until last year. The one that came mm-hmm. out back in 2021 was reviewed exactly a year ago. Very- Exactly a year ago, yeah. The 2021 Hitman 3, that game uh, reviewed very well and was on a lot of people's top 10 or number one game of last year. Yeah, like the the genre for me has always captured me. I think ever since I got back into gaming, you know, in Mm. I'd say after high school, like in early university, I played with uh, friends of the show, Jake and Brian, uh, in in our house, and they were really into that genre. And they were into the, the... the parts of games that have stealth in it, you know, um, mm-hmm. a big example, of course, but I said Deus Ex, but there's also Mass Effect, which has a lot of stealth elements in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where stealth shines in general. Like you said, it's really good when you can have a game, let you take you down this rabbit hole of just trying to avoid people, but mm-hmm. do it in a, an interesting way that you're not just doing the same type st- stealth, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over and over again. And, we, you know, early 2000s, late 90s is probably where we got the most stealth-only games. Mm-hmm. And the genre definitely got saturated a lot in that sense. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest games in the stealth genre that we'll be talking about in a couple months or weeks or whatever we're going to do it is uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, which mm-hmm. is arguably probably the best stealth game on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll get get there eventually uh but i just i just think stealth games are something that have really died out and you yeah. don't really see any more other than maybe a hitman uh game and it's a little sad but it's um this episode's also going to be a bit of a celebration of, of mm-hmm. stealth and um and why it it's so unique and how it's kind of created the video game industry in a way as well yeah, I, I just love it when a video game, like I think of Breath of the Wild, where it's like you think of like, can I do this? Yes, I can. Like I love the idea <laughs> yeah, in, a, yes. in a stealth game where it's like, can I get through this level without firing a shot? And you do it yeah. and it feels incredibly rewarding. And then it's, can yes. I get through this level without killing or touching another player or another uh, NPC? And you know, you, you can do it. You find out that you can sneak around a person or you can sneak through a window and you can do it. Like it's just really neat when games 
give you the option to get through it without with being passive. Like not every game has to be guns a blazing Call of Duty, Medal of Honor style games. <laughs> yeah. uh, it really was revolutionary, and I think that that's why we've seen stealth games kind of become more of like a, take a back seat to the Call of Duties and everything. Like sometimes we do get a great Hitman game, but it will still get outsold ten to one by whatever the biggest action game of the year is. Um, even like, I, like we have Phantom Pain, which is the the Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid 2015 one. That was, uh, from what I remember, was relatively well reviewed. Uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist in 2013 mm-hmm. was kind of a return to form to the the, the stealth genre. Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, uh, the first 90 percent of that game it is amazing, <laughs> and and a big thing with those games is the fact that technology developed to allow larger environments, right? And that makes it really cool, right? Is when you're able to explore while uh, in this stealth mode. I know yeah. Watch Dogs tried to do a bit of that and, in my opinion, kind of failed uh, at mm. it. But okay. um, the last uh, one that I want to mention, and you, I think you might have played this game, Neil, is Alien Isolation, which I think yes. was a fantastic way to bring the stealth genre um, into the survival horror genre. I think survival horror and stealth is a great combination. I did play like the first hour or two of Alien Isolation. That was a game that I got from the library a few years ago, and I mm. I really adored it. I, I love stealth and uh, horror. I think that just because your heart rate is already uh, elevated a little bit, even just sneaking around guards on a base or something, it's just even more terrifying if you know that it's a, a xenomorph that's going to you know rip your yeah. head off if you get caught. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really neat. And uh, an- like another game just similar to a survival horror like Alien Isolation is basically half of the like the last of us where i think yep. it's i think it's the last i think i read this where you can play the last of us and not kill a single uh infected person without the, killing the first last of us the, yeah the very first last of us not the second yeah. last of us not part two yeah. uh, i think you can get through that entire game without killing a single infected uh person but you have to kill people so just neat stuff like that that uh, like stealth being incorporated into games is the way that i'd prefer to play it but there's also a ton of uh, indie games on switch that are all stealth based 2d and i think that that's what held a lot of these uh these stealth games back in the day back uh, you mentioned bigger environments more flesh out environments another issue i think for me was uh enemy ai like the uh, characters yeah. that you're sneaking around are just dumb uh the that's that's always been a big problem with that genre right yeah. is is trying to find ways to creatively work an ai like in in deus ex one thing i really loved was that you had to manipulate the body of of Mm. whoever you killed you had to make sure that body was out of sight it didn't just disappear right and i remember playing that for the first time thinking like whoa this is cool like i i have to put the body in a very specific area i have to Mm -hmm. make sure it's out of sight too like i can't just you know put it away like they'll 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 be able to see like the feet if they can if it's even a little bit in their vision. Mm-hmm. I had to find a door, open the door, you know, wait for the guard to pass, then drag the body into there. Mm-hmm. If I if I carried it, I would make too much noise. So it was stuff like that 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 I think really allows a game to be fleshed out properly. And yeah, not everyone does it, of course. No. And back in the early 2000s, late 90s, the uh, the AI just wasn't there yet. We were starting no. to see glimpses of it. Like I mentioned James Bond. There would be certain parts where like if you're sneaking around in an office building and there is a guy lying on the ground, someone else reacts to it and then you have to knock them out. But yeah, yeah it's really neat when they started to get smarter with, with uh, like hiding the bodies. I think that's really neat. Uh, yeah. So in a way, the, the stealth genre is a bit ahead of its time. Uh, but it we, is. Did have to, we did have to have some of these excellent stealth games to, uh, to lead the way into the 2020s. So uh, why don't we talk about a few of those games, Mike? Let's do it. Let's talk about the Hitman franchise and, of course, Hitman 2, Silent Assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to bring on our first guest of the day, Neil, which is uh, our friend Dylan, who's joining us for the first time. So, of course, we have to ask him the important question of Dylan, did you own a GameCube back in the day? 
I actually did not. <gasps> oh, <God>. but <laughs> I had. That's all right. We we get we get folks like you from time to time on our podcast. That's okay. You're welcome. Everyone's welcome <laughs> like here. You. you came around on the GameCube eventually, though, did you? Well, I did. Yeah, and you know what? I had a lot of friends that um, own the GameCube, so it was just one of those things where you were often playing it with friends, and I just I didn't really need one on my own. Yeah. So, so what did you have then? Did you have a PS2 or Xbox? Yeah. Well, I had uh, PS2. I did never have Xbox. Um, not a fan. So you know, neither are we. PlayStation yeah. fanboy. But, <laughs> uh, and N64. I, I played that forever. I had that when it originally came out, and I I never stopped playing it. It was uh, kind of a nostalgia thing. So. You must be happy then to have the N64 Virtual Console coming out on Switch right now. We can finally play Win Back, the game that Mike and I have been waiting 25 years to play. That's a that's a keeper for sure. Um, I'm I'm a fan of the N64 too. Mike, not so much, but uh, but that's okay. We 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 forgive him for that. Yeah, I love it, and I am excited about the N64. I actually just got a Switch. My wife got it for me for a wedding gift, and we've been playing a lot of it. So, yeah, the the uh, subscription though, like. I found out I need the online subscription to do a lot of things, and then I get it, and then I'm like, oh, okay, cool, now I can do this N64 game stuff, and then it was like, no, no, that's a separate subscription. So, you know, I mean, that's the Nintendo way, but... Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yep, they don't do anything right. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah, I never thought about that, what it's like to go back to just having, like, the vanilla Switch with no online service. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, just going back to, like, 2017, where there was nothing... We still don't have Netflix, but I don't think we ever will at this point. No, it, I mean, well, Nintendo's whole thing was that it was a gaming first console, just like <sighs> the GameCube, which was really the first portable console. Let's be honest here. You know, it had a handle. You could take it to places. <laughs> yep. That and your four controllers and your copy of Melee and all those all those cables and ports and everything that you needed. For sure. Yeah, definitely portable. Exactly. That's so true. It did have a handle. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, so the audacity to make a make a console with a handle is one yeah, of my yeah. favorite things. And it's well, that's it's... probably why I didn't own one. It was so portable. <laughs> you just wanted to stay home. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but of course today we are talking about Hitman and the Hitman franchise. And there is only one Hitman game on the GameCube, and that's Hitman 2 Silent Assassin. Uh, Tell us the stats for that, Neil. Yeah, Hitman 2 Silent Assassin, the sequel to Hitman Agent 47, was released on June 19th, 2003. Uh, It was developed by IO Interactive, published by Eidos Interactive. It's also on PS2 and Xbox and Windows PC. Uh, Rates about an 8.5 out of 10, one of the higher rated Hitman games. Priced today at around 20 bucks, so it's very affordable. It's, of course, a stealth uh, stealth game, single player, and sold 3.7 million copies. Uh, Not all on GameCube, but otherwise that would have made it like one of the most successful GameCube games of all time. Boy, can you imagine? Uh, But uh, Hitman's been around since uh, 2000, and we got the most recent game, Hitman 3, uh, not the sequel to Hitman 2 Silent Assassin. There's been multiple Hitman games, uh, but we got Hitman 3 released in 2021. So this series has been around for a long time and uh, has a lot of fans uh, like Dylan here, which is why we brought Dylan on today. Yeah, since 2000. And Dylan, what was your first kind of intro into the series? It was actually Silent Assassin, yeah. So I think the only one before it was uh, uh, one that probably uh, I I did not, I wasn't interested in playing Codename. I think it was called Codename 47 or something like that. The naming's all very confusing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little bit ridiculous. Like the series naming convention, it goes Hitman, Agent 47 came out in in 2000. Uh, It sold... uh, Codename 47. 
Codename 47, sorry, uh, sold half a million copies, rated about a 73%, followed up by Silent Assassin, uh, sold uh, 3.7 million, rated really high at 8.5. Then we had Hitman Contracts, that sold about 2 million copies. And then there was Blood Money, sold another 2 million. And then after that, it was the Square Enix era, because that was yep. all the Eidos era from 2000 to 2006. Mm. Square Enix would do Hitman Absolution in 2012, which was an okay game, wasn't rated that well. Uh, and then we started kind of, they rebooted the, the, the series with the, the first Hitman in 2016. And then we have Hitman 2 in 2018 with Warner uh, publishing that. And then Hitman 3, like you said, Neil, 2021, IO Interactive got to publish and develop it this time. And it's probably the highest rated, I think, of all the Hitmans is the, the latest Hitman 3, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the game that came out last year was on a lot of people's game of the year lists, like mm-hmm. top one, top five, really. I didn't get a chance to play that game yet. I will, though. I'm looking for a PS5 sometime this year, and that's going to be one of the games that I pick up for sure. It sounds like a ton of fun, and, and maybe I should go back to the, the Hitman 2016 game just to start the trilogy off properly. But I remember that when that game came out, it kind of came out like a soft launch because they released it like an episodic. episodic yeah kind of game mm-hmm. and it confused a lot of people they were trying to get people in for free and then sell units later that idea kind of exploded in their face and it did not work mm-hmm. and that's around the time that idos uh, square enix uh, sold io interactive and they were picked up by warner brothers wb interactive so the last uh, two hitman games have been wb properties so and so dylan have you played any of these other games after silent assassin yeah i did silent assassin contracts uh blood money which is my absolute favorite okay and then the most recent and this is where i get confused because i'm like to me that's that's one two and three like yeah you know yeah. what i started and then i'm like oh now there actually is a, a two and a three and they're very new it's not the newest one but it's the newest one before this new okay. one that's out uh on the ps4 that i i played and it's interesting. I, I didn't get into it as much as I thought that I would have. I really liked the maps. Like I liked where they were based. There was some in like Marrakesh and France and things like that. And and the levels themselves were actually like very nice. Cause I mean, the last time I played a Hitman game, the graphics were not, uh, you know, not anywhere where they are today. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. uh, enjoyed those parts of it, but for some reason, I don't know. I, I didn't get into it. Maybe it's because I don't I don't play as much anymore. So I think probably I was a little frustrated. And uh, the maps are also massive. Like the, the, the biggest change that I noticed is the, the newer game. The maps are just so huge. So I, I found myself like kind of getting lost in the map more than I was in the gameplay. And then, you know, just wasn't the same for me. So, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's that's like totally fair criticism, especially because this game, and let's get into it now, Hitman 2 Silent Assassin, this game has a lot of really small maps, but they do a great job of uh, finding unique ways to go through the maps, and the replayability of this game is really what sticks out to me. Yeah, and it's it's also the game, too, that, uh, that sort of figured out what Hitman was going to be. I, I really get, like, I think of uh, Assassin's Creed as well, uh, where Assassin's Creed 1 is kind of like, yeah, it got the franchise started, and then Assassin's Creed 2 is really when it picked up a lot of fans. Same thing with Hitman 2. Uh, this is really considered where the franchise gets its stride. It's the first console release also. It's the, and it's the first console release, too. We should say that the, the first Hitman game, uh, the one in, from 2000, was only released on PC. That is definitely a late 90s, early 2000s game. Uh the box art on that game. I'm not sure if you've seen the box art for it, Dylan, <laughs> but it's 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's act, it, it's 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 good. It's just that it's terrifying. Agent Forty Seven looks like an alien, <laughs> kind of like like an emaciated Vin Diesel who can't blink. Is the best way I can describe it. It looks terrifying. I'm, like I'm looking you, at it right now, and I am a little terrified. If you woke up and you saw Agent Forty Seven at the edge of your bed, I think you would just die of fear right then, then and there. There'd be yeah. no escaping from that. It looks like a survival horror game, less so than like a stealth game. Like kind of like if Slender Man had a face, that would be it. That is something. I'm seeing a lot of memes on it now, too. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, really? That's good. That's nice. good. The, the, huh. the fact that, you know, it was just for PC was obviously not great considering it is a shooter. And it was really, really nice to see this game come to GameCube, albeit nine months later than it came to other consoles. But it did eventually make its way to GameCube. And GameCube at the time, this is 2002, so this is still GameCube in its prime. It's still trying to market towards mature audiences, so looking for teenagers mm-hmm. and people like that. And they really wanted to push their shooters because that's what the trigger, the GameCube trigger buttons are so good at. That was the initial idea when they created it. And so Hitman 2 Silent Assassin seems like a perfect fit on the GameCube for that reason. Um, but yeah, the the plot, if you want to just talk a little bit about the plot of Silent Assassin, uh, Agent 47, as we know, who is the main... The main protagonist or anti-hero you could call him throughout the series uh he's retired now uh guys mm. he, he retired is he's done uh and he's living in italy as a garden keeper <laughs> 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 which uh i was like okay and um uh, of course a group of mobsters kidnap his mentor and uh forces him to load up his guns once again <laughs> i was playing it this week to kind of get back into it and i forgot how much fun it is to find creative ways like back like into the um into the mansion i guess where you're trying to go and what this reminded me of neil a lot was the snowblind uh the first level on mm. um and 007 nightfire where you're okay. you're trying to get to like through the gates and you know right. there's three things you can do you can either just kill everybody and go in mm-hmm. uh you can do an actual just stealth mode and just like kind of slink away and go and get through the gates that way or if you're smart enough, you can wait for the truck, drop into the truck, and then let it go and and just be patient and get into the uh, the castle uh, without anyone touching you. It takes you there. You don't have to do anything violent. You don't have to knock out anybody. You don't have to shoot anybody. And that's what makes Hitman great. And James Bond games definitely borrowed a ton from the Hitman games. Mm-hmm. Like even down to we talk about the box art. Like Hitman 3's box art. Actually, that's actually technically borrowing from 007 Goldeneye, the remake. It's pretty much the same box art where it's uh, Agent 47 holding the gun kind of up to his face, upright, mm-hmm. being a being a badass. But that that's the part of the game, of the franchise, that make it so beloved amongst its players is the... Um, Agency of freedom, I guess, is what it's considered, is when, like, you can decide whether or not uh, you need to take out a guard or if you want to sneak around them. You can technically do either one you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's why some of the uh, later games, the ones in the, uh, the EA slash uh, Square Enix uh, generation, were... Uh, negatively received, at least when they were first announced. Like there was one of them, it was either Contracts or Blood Money, I can't remember now, but uh, they showed it off at E3 and it was this action heavy explosions and it was basically a shooter of a game. And the fans of Hitman kind of, you know, there was some backlash saying like, this is not Hitman. Uh, We don't want it to be an action game. We want to have the ability to make a decision if we want to slink around and sneak, you know, sneak outside the building to get around the guards. We don't want to have to be forced into a firefight. Like that's not what this franchise is. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they snapped back and and made, made put the franchise back on, uh, on the right tracks with the, with the Hitman trilogy that we got uh, last generation, which is good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it. It's back in popularity. Like everyone that played Hitman three loved it. So yeah. uh, I would like to see this, this franchise get more of like a triple a 
uh, status. And uh, I think that what would what would help that would be to just make the main character a little bit more interesting. Like he's just a little bit of a lifeless character to me. But that's the, his whole point. That's like the you know, I know. Like a clone kind of thing. You know, it's he, he's he's really cool. Like it's a very iconic looking character now. Like the suit, bald head with the barcode on the back of his head, which they absolutely uh, nailed in the movie, the Hitman movie. <laughs> that uh, I don't know, Dylan. Did you have you heard of this Hitman movie that came out like 15 years ago? Yeah, I've heard of it, but I haven't actually seen it. So um, that's probably a testament to how good it is. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you definitely don't want to see this one. It was back from like 2007. So like when we were in high school, it was rated R, which is really random. I don't know why you would make this rated R. Uh, I guess you kind of have to. You're killing people. You're a hitman. <laughs> I guess so. But like it, it has a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, it was a terrible adaptation of a video game. Uh, it's got a confusing plot and just it's just basically extreme violence for the sake of being violent. Uh, made a hundred million dollars though, so I mean, oh, not wow. bad. <laughs> so, so Dylan, what you know, we talked about the three different ways you can kind of approach Hitman. Uh, what what way did you often try and do? Well, I I've tried all three over time. I found uh, guns blazing approach doesn't actually really work uh, as much as you want to try it. <laughs> so I think no matter what you take, you take a certain mission and go, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna do it this time. And, you know, you find the guy and you just start shooting and then two seconds later you're done. And so <laughs> that one never really works out. I, I usually would play it like I, I like to play games for fun, really. Um, I mean, I I went down a path where I played games for uh, just trophies, which wasn't so much fun anymore. But um, when I was mm. playing on the earlier days, I was always playing for fun. So uh, I would play it through and just, you know, do whatever kind of comes my way. I wouldn't, you know try really hard to go the silent assassin route mm -hmm. uh which you know would be one of their things on there at the end it's like yeah you completed it without using any weapons or causing any suspicion or anything like that if i got it great i'd, I'd be happy but um yeah really just play it for fun like that's what that's what i love about those games is just the i'm gonna sound like a psychopath probably <laughs> describing this but just the way you can do uh anything right like you could drop someone into a furnace or one of my favorite ones was uh it was actually at a theater you had to shoot someone right on the high note of like an opera oh yeah <laughs> and it looked like it like this guy had a prop gun um and he was you know pretending to shoot the the other person but you actually then are on the other side of the map and you shoot the person right at the right moment and then that's kind of that's like a really unique way to to do it the original um alec baldwin if you will so <laughs> it, it was uh i think that's too soon <laughs> yeah but but that type of freedom like that that type of freedom and like a joke like that that will get you into trouble like, and it and uh silent assassin did get into a certain yeah. amount of hot water here there <laughs> yes. was some controversy around uh one of the levels which featured killing sikhs uh, within a depiction of their most holy site where hundreds of sikhs were massacred back in 1984 uh, and in response, uh, that level was edited from the uh, Windows and the GameCube version. Um, they removed all Seek references in that in those games. So uh, mm -hmm. wow. I, we, we talked about that too back on the Call of Duty episode. The um, what? The yeah, do you remember that, Dylan? The uh, Modern Warfare Two, I think, where you could go in and kill everybody in the airport. Ah, uh, yes, I do. Yes, it was like right. At, was that almost the like at the opening of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it it's stuff like that where like video games. You're right, Dylan. Like they are supposed to be fun and everything, and and for the most part they are. But uh, occasionally the video games that we love make the news, and that's when it uh, it stops being fun, and and uh, lawyers have to get involved, unfortunately. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I got to give so much love to this game. Honestly, uh, playing it again really, really made me love it. Just the hybrid elements of first and third person shooters mm. or shooting elements in this game were done so so well, and. 
you know, I think of a lot of these games that we've talked about already, Neil, from this era. And, you know, I think that the major complaint every time is the camera's bad, the, the controls are bad, the, the switching is bad, like everything, you know, the crouching is bad. But in here, they, they do it in, there's so much detail and love put into it hmm. okay. that uh, I almost forgot I was playing a 2002 game. That does feel like a very like GameCube generation thing to do to switch between first and third person, like Battlefront Two kind of. I, I I did hear criticism that it was kind of done in reflex to Star Wars Battlefront Two, and for that reason, the first person element, like the first person modes, weren't quite as strong as it being played in third person. But yeah, just the ability to do that is really neat. It just kind of again that agency of of like deciding what you want to do. Like you want to take out this guy or not, you can do that. Do you want to play this game in first person or third person? You can do that. And there'd be some people who probably have no idea that you could do that. They would just play the entire game in first person. And to them, Hitman is a first person game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's really neat. I'm glad to hear that you liked like the first person mode because I heard that it doesn't switch quite as flawlessly. Uh, like the game is played better off in third person. It is. It is. But like nowadays, and like if you look back nowadays, for sure. But Dylan, I want to tell you about my what I did on the first mission. Uh, please (laughs) it's one of my favorite things Uh, so of course like you like we've said there's lots of different ways to approach a mission and instead of sneaking onto the property which you can do for the just using normal stealth uh gameplay i killed the mailman uh (laughs) who the guards were expecting to come you know to deliver the mail so i put his clothes on and i went up to the gate and got in that way so i thought it was uh, i thought it was pretty clever very clever. I like that. <laughs> I just like that you 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 disguise yourself as just this bald guy, just completely <laughs> unhu like android looking dude in like a random outfit. Here's the mail. It, it is very comical. Like they're kind of um, cheesier, I guess. Like they do a good job. Honestly, they do a really good job with like skirting the line between cheesiness and like being a serious game, like having serious gameplay aspects. Um, like even the plot, a lot of it has to do with him kind of redeeming himself. Uh, for his sins of, of like the last game, so it's it's kind of interesting in that way. What's in, what's funny is that a lot of people this would have been their very first Hitman game to play. Like they wouldn't have played the PC version since this was the first Hitman game on a console yeah, and like on, Dylan, like Dylan, yeah, yep. and on a Nintendo console. And I think this was also the last Hitman game on an on a Nintendo console. So yep. <laughs> uh, like imagine like being a GameCube fan at the time, which we were. We didn't play Hitman back in the day, but like being a huge fan, like all right, this is on GameCube, sweet. Maybe it's going to be on the next console, and it, it isn't. Like this is your only way to play if you only own Nintendo consoles. This is the only one you'll have. You have no idea what. What happened first you have no idea what happened after uh it's, it's very strange that this. it was interesting that contracts and blood money weren't on the gamecube mm-hmm. i i i found because they're 2004 and 2006 like yep. blood money wasn't even on the wii no and um i i couldn't use the wii zapper to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to yeah the wii people. would be an interesting one for uh for hitman that right that's what i was thinking you could like almost like use it as a uh, sort of point and click style yeah yeah like you could do like a hedge cutter or you know like throw a <laughs> throw a butcher knife or yeah it could have got creative with that yeah and that's you know that really boils down to the fact that nintendo and a lot of these developers didn't have a good relationship at this point right we did get another io interactive game though on gamecube uh, at the time the freedom fighters which we're not we were going to talk about in this episode because it ties in so closely with hitman but since it's not a stealth game we're gonna kick it off to another episode and but- it's really 
really good. We want to talk about it that for a while, too. We so. actually want to play the game first because it looks amazing, and it's actually referenced in uh, Hitman: Silent Assassin. Uh, there's really? the sh- yeah in the Shogun Showdown mission. There's a big security workstation on the castle's third floor, uh, and on the on the main screen of their computer, if you go up into a specific office, uh, you can see a screenshot of their upcoming ga- of the upcoming game, Freedom Fighters. So hmm. they actually tease wow. their next game in in Hitman: uh, Silent Assassin, which is really neat. Uh, you see developers do that from time to time. It's it's a nice Easter egg. If, you, if they have a game that they're working on to tease, I think it's really neat. It's also risky because that game could have been canceled or something, but which would have been funny. Hitman was really good with Easter eggs. Speaking of those, there was, I forget exactly, but I'm, I mean, you know, if you look up like uh, walkthroughs or guides or everything, that's where you kind of go, oh, wow, there's this, there's that. But I think one of them I discovered, I was Blood Money, I believe, my my favorite. Mm-hmm. And you start off in a, a carnival, and if you wait for a certain amount of time, there's someone on like a, a Ferris wheel, mm-hmm. and I was just waiting in terms of like I had my my I didn't have my pause menu on, so I was just kind of like nothing's gonna happen. Left, I come back, and then I see someone caught on fire on the Ferris wheel, <laughs> and so that was actually an Easter egg itself. I think you had to wait about ten minutes and oh not do anything, and uh, yeah, that that someone was getting lit on fire. Like if you if you stood there and actually watched it happen, the guy poured gas on him on the on the Ferris wheel and lit him on fire. There's so many little things like that <laughs> in the Hitman game that uh, are apparent in every chapter. That uh, yeah, it's just pretty wild how many Easter eggs they they threw in there. Also bizarre ones, but. It's the detail, right? Like this whole yeah. game, it's there's so much detail in it. And what I was going to say too was the fact that I love the mechanic that they put in that you need to kind of leave your gun in different places sometimes so you don't mm-hmm. get spotted. So for example, if I kill the mailman, when I killed the mailman, uh, I had to hide my gun in the bushes because I couldn't take it with me or else people would be like, hey, you have a gun and then start shooting at me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I don't think I've ever played a game that did that. Have you, Neil? Uh, no, having to get rid of your gun to avoid being caught. Yeah. I can't think of anything. Which makes it fun because then you have to, like Dylan was saying earlier, like finding creative ways to kill people, Mm -hmm. which is what is really fun about this game, right? It's not that fun just shooting the your target yeah like that's infinite (laughs) ammo and everything it almost makes it a bit more like a puzzle game too like a puzzle adventure Mm -hmm. game too so that's very clever and something so forward thinking you can definitely see how they got a lot of their uh inspiration for future games just from this one game here so very neat well neil um i think it's time to read the back of the box what do you think all right i think it's time but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Hunting season begins. Step into the world of a cold-blooded killer for hire. Hunting and stalking your prey in a deadly game of cat and mouse. It's completely up to how you fulfill the contract. Be warned, some of your targets are heavily guarded, as well as completely paranoid. They'll be expecting you. Ooh, yes, they will, Neil. Yes, mm-hmm. they will. They'll be expecting me, indeed. Dylan, before we let you go, I just want to talk to you a little bit about something that you do, which I think is really awesome, and you've been doing it for probably as long as I've known you, which is uh, Extra Life. Yes, yeah. I don't know a ton about Extra Life. I hear about it, like, once or twice a year. It seems like every Twitch streamer, every YouTuber is raising money for Extra Life. They're going to be streaming for, like, a day or, or a couple of hours or their favorite game or whatever it is. So for, for the listeners and for myself who don't know a ton about it, in a nutshell, what is Extra Life? Yeah, for sure. So I highly recommend doing it. Um, and you guys probably have a great platform here to, to try to get a lot of people into it as well. But 
you know, similar to any sort of charity event, um, you know, if you do like a run for a cure and you kind of do like a, a marathon or maybe you run from London to Grand Ben or, you know, that's pretty aggressive, but lots <laughs> of different things that, that charity events can do. This one is actually just playing video games for 24 hours straight. Jeez. So it's more of a mental exercise than a physical, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's cool. So you, there's a platform, Extra Life, and their big thing is for uh, Save the Kids is, is the slogan. So Children's Miracle Network hospitals around the world are the supporting charity. So, and we just get a group of people together. You can do it on your own. So um, one year, Sam and I, uh, my wife just did it at home. Uh, it was very tough because <laughs> yeah. previously we would have like a group of people come over and there'd be like 10 of us and we'd all keep each other uh, company and awake uh, right. <laughs> as well. So when it was just me and my wife, we were like, oh my goodness, I don't know how we're going to do this. And, you know, we're, we were getting older and everything too. We aren't as young as we once are. So um, no, it's just a really good time. Nice. It's a nice excuse to pick up some video games, especially like if you don't get a chance to play a lot. 24 hours is aggressive, but it's definitely fun and yeah, really great support uh, a cause at the same time. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's honestly great. And I want to know too, what what got you into doing Extra Life? What got you started with this? I honestly can't even remember. I think I came across it on Google or you know somewhere on the internet and thought, wow, this is a great excuse to play video games for 24 <laughs> hours. And a friend of mine, Austin, we've done it pretty much uh, every year. Uh, together that sounds wrong <laughs> we uh we partnered up on on that initiative every year and we would do things like not just video games but you can also do board games so it's pretty versatile so when you you get kind of tired we'd right. step outside if it was a nice enough day of the year and play some like clue as an example <laughs> and that was one game that we played before and yeah it'd be nice you can kind of switch it up between doing solo games for your, like yourself for like four hours and then you might do like a co-op game with a friend um, for another bit never have I ever done just the same game for 24 hours um, that would be that'd well, be pretty that's hard that's a nightmare oh yeah, yeah. I, I cannot I can't even imagine staying awake for 24 hours so right away you guys are my heroes do you have like a game that you like to go to because you've been doing this for years now do you have kind of like a go-to catalog of games or do you play something new every year that's yeah that's something new every year I, I i usually add something new to the roster that i pick just to say like yeah i'll get into this it, it depends that that can work out for me or not because it's the first time i'm playing it so if i, right. I don't like it then i'm kind of back to the originals <laughs> that was actually the the hitman one was a good example of that <laughs> full circle um yeah. i was like yeah i'm so excited i'm gonna download this and it was at the point where i think when i downloaded it they weren't they, they did like some small dlc maps but the one that i purchased was like all of them so it was a bunch of different areas of the world and i was super excited and i just got into it and I, it was just immediately frustrating because the npcs were just way too sussy <laughs> i would like walk by them like two meters away and i'm not even doing anything wrong and they'd be like grilling me and your controller just starts vibrating because the they're like oh you're you're suspect right now and right um so it didn't last too long for me. I eventually got back into it and played through uh, the games, but that was an example of one that I, I could not see myself playing for a while on a night like that. I feel like 24 hours of straight rock band would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you have We've to, done but, rock band. That's a good one. But you have to stay on whatever <laughs> instrument you start with. You have to stick with it. So like if you're on Ooh. vocals, God help you. That's why I feel like the last hour of the live stream would be the best time to watch as a viewer. Like you're just tuning in on basically someone who's slowly slipping into 
a psychosis that they can't undo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we want to consider doing that, Mike. I, what, do you have like a specific time of day that's like ideal to start? Like, do you want to start late at night or do you want to start early in the morning? Like, this is a, I'm trying to develop a strategy here. That is a good question. So um, I think we did it before where we started at night and that's not good because then you're kind of, you're basically going almost through like two it feels yeah. like two nights. Right. So we figured out the best thing to do is to wake up, not start right away because that's also difficult, but wake up, kind of get your day started. I think we got together at 11 a.m. So okay. not too early, but not too late. And we would play till 11 a.m. the next day. You also get the sunrise coming up. Um, that's the real savior. So once it's like 6 a.m., you see some light. And then at that moment, you're OK from 7 to 11, but you got to make it till till seven in the morning right and that can be the, mm, the tricky the part. part yeah <laughs> yeah see i would i would do the opposite or not the opposite but my strategy would be to roll out of bed and instantly start streaming because i would want to get this done as soon as possible but that yeah. works that works out well though because like mike is a sleeper sleep inner so like i could get started and by the time he gets up like i could be like i'd be like five hours into the stream so we'd be like <laughs> but then he's got to keep going when you go to bed that's that's gonna be tricky mm, that's true yeah. yeah we could definitely cover it between the two of us i think that the real thing though is that you have to do it together for 24 hours but mm -hmm. Sounds like a fun challenge. Uh, we'll see. When when <laughs> when does Extra Life typically take place? Is it once a year? It is once a year. And the date, I think, is always usually the same. Yeah, November. November 6, 2021. Okay. November 6, there you go. All right. Yeah, so it's good. And it's a good platform, too. Like, they take care of everything on the platform. You just sign up and you can create a team. And all your team kind of goes into the same portal. And all the money that you raise separately kind of goes into you know the, the traditional thermometer of a goal you set nice. and uh yeah it just tracks it all for you and gives you good collateral to like send out and and things like that and mm. best ways to stream and and yeah so it's a good good system that's awesome well thanks uh thanks so much for for talking about that dylan it's always something i i would love to do at some point and neil i think i think we'll try we'll try at some point to try to do this and, 24 uh, <laughs> hours of gamecube you have yeah to do 24 it. of course it has to be 24 hours of gamecube yeah. it can't be anything else no. what else would we play like <laughs> yeah we're the gamecube school podcast we can't like plug in our ps2s no. and be like all right ratchet <laughs> yeah. and clank time and uh, and yeah this this might be a game that uh that uh, that one of us plays and we just try and do fun things on it but mm -hmm. um yeah dylan thanks so much for coming on today is there anything about hitman that you just want to say before before we let you go no no i think i'm i'm good and thank you guys so much for having me i really appreciate you guys having me on it was great uh chatting about hitman and uh nice and nostalgic so yeah, yeah, that's that's we're we're here we're here for the nostalgia. Yes, that's what, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we supply. That's what we're awesome. uh, capitalizing on for sure. And enjoy your Nintendo Switch. That's a great gift from your wife. She sounds like a keeper. If that's the gifts, the type of gifts that she's given you, so uh, she sure is. Yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> go out there and check. I think one of the Hitman games is on Switch, but I, I could be wrong. Yeah, and congratulations on uh, getting married. Must be weird to call her your wife. I noticed that you like had to do a couple pauses there. Yeah, it is still <laughs> tricky. Um, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. We're, it took a while, obviously, with COVID. We were delayed a year, but yeah. but yeah, no, it's it's been great. It is tricky though, making the transition and saying wife all the time. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like it's like a, there's a Seinfeld episode where where Jerry just starts calling his girlfriend my wife, and yeah. it's like oh yeah, it's like it's got so much of a harder hit, you know? It's like yeah, you know, my wife. Yeah. My, <laughs> I like saying it though. I yeah. Like it's a lot of fun to say. My yeah. fiance. <laughs> yeah, I did not like saying that. I wasn't saying, but I did. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, thanks again, Dylan, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Dylan, for coming on today. That was a great time. I always like to have new guests on. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I always like to have guests on who played 
hitman for one which is a great mm-hmm. series and someone who has is giving back doing uh extra life which is a really cool charity that uh friend of the show cam uh cpox uh, did it this year and maybe one day neil and i will do it as well and do our 24 hours of gamecube maybe yeah i i love to hear more about that i do hear about it a lot and i think it is in november or October, sometime this year in 2022. Mm-hmm. We'll see where we're at. Uh, I think we'll be towards the end of this podcast, but that doesn't mean that we can't go on Twitch and uh, play some GameCube for 24 hours. Honestly, like just watching a stream will be entertaining, but watching Neil at 23 hours of yes. being awake will be even more monumental because I don't think I've ever stayed awake for for 24 hours like in my really? life. No, like oh. I mean, I went to college. I didn't go to university, mm-hmm. so like I never had like those classes. Yeah. No, my sister did because she was taking law, so like she was awake for you know, two days on end or whatever it was, yeah. but it's no. not fun. It's not fun. It's not fun no. once, you, once you hit like the, the 30th hour, then you start getting the chills and you're like, this yeah, is Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think the only time I ever lost a ton of sleep was when I'd go to shows because I'd get home at 1 a.m. and then I have to get up at like five the next day to go to work or whatever True. it was. So, uh, but Mike, before we move on to the next game on our, uh, on our list today, I believe that Hitman 2 Silent Assassin was featured in our favorite book, 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. So why don't you read the uh, segment from that book? Oh, you know it, Neil. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's in here, of course, uh, Killing isn't easy, even for killers. It sounds like a back of the case. Yeah, it does. <laughs> How you choose to approach each challenging, inventive, and truly original mission setup is limited more by your imagination than it is by any artificial rules of engagement. Multiple solutions to each scenario ensure one player's experience can differ wildly from another's and present excellent replay value as you try another tactic. Of course, though this is about Agent 47's conscience being solved, uh, these are still deadly strikes and discovering that you're a pawn in a bigger global power play. It's a huge Mm. revelation that calls for reflection as well as retaliation. Ultimately, you vanquish personal demons worthy of a name, not just a number. Hmm. Very good. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. see, see, Hitman is such a cool series that I want to know more about, but it's funny because you always hear people talk about the gameplay and the missions and everything that you do, but you rarely hear anything about the plot of the games. Like, Like, the story doesn't seem to be all that important, which is neat. Uh, it, it's just about stealth. Like it's all yeah. about game gameplay of the game is what stands out most. And as much as I love going into games that are, you know, my 8-bit 2D side-scrolling action games that are all very predictable and everything, it's neat to see developers are still making games that think outside the box and, and let the players do whatever they want in a game. Uh, and uh, Hitman is one of those games. So yep. glad that we could finally cover it in an episode. And it is it is sad that we're only going to get one chance to do it and one game. Uh, of all of all things yep yeah a little sad but let's move on to rogue ops neil rogue ops not quite as good as hitman but rogue ops was released on october 29th 2003 it's developed by bits studios they developed die hard which we talked about back in 2020 i believe uh published by chemco it's also on ps2 and xbox this game rates 6.5 out of 10 and is priced today at around 30 dollars. this is another single player stealth game um so it's difficult because like in an era when metal gear solid was so big splinter cell was huge hitman was just coming up uh how do you make a stealth game that's like a new franchise stand out mike how do do you do it you put a uh, special ops agent yeah yes a blonde (laughs) woman with uh, big boobs put her on the front and uh good luck but uh this game is if you watch gameplay of this game like cutscenes, levels and everything this game is it looks fine but it's very soulless like the voice acting is just so stiff 
like you could have found anybody to do a better performance than some of these characters. Like the tone never changes yeah. from very beginning to the very end. Like this this main character, she loses her family, uh, which is always a theme in these movies, kind of like a Harrison it. Ford film or something. Yep. Uh, but I think what is it? Her daughter is killed or something, and that's sort of like her her motivation to get involved. Yeah, she's uh, a former Green Beret whose family is murdered by a terrorist group. Classic. She joins right. Phoenix, which is an anti-terrorist organization, which is ironic because in uh, 007 Nightfire, Nightfire, Phoenix is the terrorist organization. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I was just like, man, is every organization named Phoenix? <laughs> like, uh, it's it's a very by the book, uh, by the book stealth game plot, yep. or even a stealth movie plot. Uh, no different than any other James Bond or Mission Impossible uh, game slash movie. But I like watching this game just got me vibe, just gave me vibes of like PNO3, a game that we yes. talked about a few weeks ago, just for the sole purpose that this main character, uh, her ass was the center of the screen at all times. It's very but, over-sexualized for sure. No, yeah. no matter how much you move the camera, I can't talk about that enough. It's just like, man, like, and the game itself is fine. Like it, it's, it's got, it's got a lot of the elements that we talked about that make a stealth game good. Like you do have to hide the bodies and everything, which, which apparently is the benchmark for a good stealth game uh, in this generation <laughs> yeah, is if yeah. you have to hide your weapons or the, the people that you knock out, that's kind of what makes it, what makes it good. Um, but uh, I, I just couldn't get over the, the character models and the dialogue in this game. Yeah. But like the, the environments look pretty good, but um, mm-hmm. uh, where the game seems to lack the most is controls, as we've talked about for a lot of these different kind of games. Uh, mm. Controls back in this day were, were a little tough, and especially in a stealth game where you need precision, it's it's tough to yeah. when you have camera movement that's uh, that's like an old N64 game rather than a new generation. Yeah, well, camera movement aside, you, you, you said controls right there. And uh, in a stealth game, uh, a, a common thing that you're going to have to do is to knock enemies out or sneak up on them and then yeah. knock enemies out. Well, to do that in Rogue Ops, uh, you have to basically do a, a full, not an FMV, not a, a, a motion video, but you do have to, uh, you get a wheel that shows up that has a bunch of arrows on it, left, right, up, down. Yeah. And you have to hit the your analog stick, the gray stick on the GameCube controller. You have to hit it in the correct uh, direction. Uh, it's like DDR, but for stealth. Basically, yeah. So it starts <laughs> off fairly simple, where it's just like DDR starts off simple, and you only have to do a couple of uh, directions, three to five. Yeah. But but by the end of the game, that entire wheel fills up, and you have to hit like ten different directions to knock somebody out. It's like, my God, just let me hit X and move on with the game. You know, like yeah, it's not necessary. Yeah. Uh, that was strange to say the least. I guess that that's one way that they wanted to make it different. Um, but just a button prompt is perfectly fine. That's what most games do. Uh, they do do a pretty cool thing though. Is when you knock somebody out, they do that X-ray Mortal Kombat thing, which which yeah. I I like that in video games. It's it's funny. Yeah, but yeah, overall the music is very generic as well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the voice acting. I don't know if you heard the villain. Oh, or one of the villains, I guess. They all sound like villains. In this yeah. <laughs> he has one of the weirdest, grossest attempts at a Russian accent I've ever heard. Nice. But then there's also Spanish, like in Spanish mm-hmm. accents. So I was like, what's going on? So I don't know. And yeah, like the main character, Nikki uh, Connors, her voice acting is just very boring, like you said. And yeah. I think to sum this game up, it's just a poor man's Metal Gear, really. You know, it was yeah. cool to have a female lead in a stealth game like this, mm-hmm. but um, there's not really any innovation here and not enough going on in this world for you to play it for more than half an hour. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably fair. Uh, one thing that was confusing to me too was I was trying to figure out, is Nikki small or is she just <laughs> is she just exploring really big environments? Because every room and like tunnel that you go through, like buildings, 
the walls just seem like they're all 20 feet tall. Yeah. Like the environments, they are nicely detailed, Mike, like you said, it's true. But like, they're also huge compared to your character. I don't know what was going on there. I'm assuming she is supposed to be like a small, you know, the, the, what the ideal woman or whatever it's supposed to be really tiny with, with huge, you know, what's and, uh, and, uh, yeah, just not a great... The game hasn't aged well, I guess we can probably say. This was definitely a budget title trying to cash in on the stealth game wave of the 2000s, and uh, definitely a game that you can probably skip even in 2022. Yep. Yep. Sounds like that's <laughs> everything that you need to say there, so uh, we'll read the back of the case and move on to the last game of the day. Training gives her the skills. Vengeance gives her the edge. When the world's most brutal terrorist organization, Omega-19, killed Nikki Connor's husband and daughter, they didn't count on payback. Now, the ex-Green Beret has joined Phoenix, a covert agency dedicated to counterterrorism with unsurpassed skills, weapon expertise, and tools for concealment. She's ready to use stealth, stamina, and deadly force to take her revenge. Oh, yeah, she is. Yes, she is. I just love the idea of just, like seeing Phoenix on the back here and all the Nightfire fans being like, what? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, there's a quote here from Game Informer. Mm. With originality and gameplay, variety fueling every second of play, Rogops is a mission that's worth taking. Maybe not. Uh, no, maybe not. Not today. So anyway, moving on to the last game here of the day is Second Sight, released on September 21st, 2004. This game is developed by Free Radical Design. Uh, they are the uh, company made up of uh, ex-Rare employees. Mm -hmm. They also developed Time Splitters. This is published by Codemasters. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Rates a 7.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $30. It's another stealth game, of course. Yeah, so Second Sight is a really interesting game. I played it this week to, mm -hmm. um, to kind of learn about it. I had heard about it from a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. I knew it was at the Time Splitters guys, so of course that piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you when you start the game, you can definitely tell how similar it is. In terms of the character design, for sure, uh, they looked like the same kind of style. Uh, it's, if you played Time Splitters, you know what I'm talking about. It's a yeah. very specific, stylized, almost caricature style, like way of of creating these characters. But it actually mm -hmm. worked really well there. So the graphics and the general design of the game are terrific in that way, no complaints. But mm -hmm. um, and the story as well, really interesting story, because the whole idea is that you. I don't know, classic, you wake up in a lab, mm -hmm. uh, it's like Wolverine style, and you all of a sudden have these powers, and it's um, it, it's second sight, which is, you know, like telekinesis and stuff like mm -hmm. that, and the way that they use it is pretty interesting, you know, telekinesis in video games is not something you see that often, no. um, and, or definitely not seen, definitely not done that well either, but uh, they do mm -hmm. it pretty good, I would say, and... Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is very similar to Deus Ex as well. You know, that's okay. the first thing I thought of was very much a Deus Ex vibe uh, here. Okay. But um, that's probably about all the really good positive stuff I can say about it. Because yeah. the controls and the way the gameplay is handled is really poor and has not aged well. Yeah, the gameplay uh, that they do is they swap between present day when you have your psychic powers, which is the fun part, and then the past when yeah. you do not. So it, it's really like a double timeline kind of game which is cool the plot again is really mm -hmm. cool actually way better than the time splitters plot which you have no idea what's going on <laughs> yeah exactly and it, it, i also got really close vibes to uh geist a game that we talked yes. about a long long time ago i feel like that if geist wasn't uh, like a gamecube exclusive and wasn't like a cult phenomenon that it is i, I almost feel like second sight would have been that game because it's it's the time splitters people the guys that made you know one of the biggest first person shooters on the console they made this 
this sort of sci-fi game that has telekinesis in it, which like you said, Mike, is uh, rare in video games, but very mm-hmm. fun. Like any game when you can control the environment with your mind, it's, it's really neat. Yeah. Um, so it, it is too bad though, but you said that the controls don't feel right. So you played this game. So what what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is the fact it's it's got the similar style of Rogue Ops where the controls aren't as tight. So mm. again, in a stealth game, you really want to have precise controls and be able to control the camera uh, at, in any way you want. And the camera is quite stiff. Uh, okay. which which is tough because you're trying to look around you, you know, and look around at all angles. And the worst part about this is that this could have, could have been forgiven, but there's no radar. There's no um, oh. way to, like, see if other people can see you. And that really took me out of it. I hated that because I just was guessing all the time. I was like, I think they can see me. I think <laughs> they can't. Like, I don't know. And I just had to run. And okay. so because of that, I had to use one of his telekinetic abilities, which is turning invisible. And I basically had to do that a lot. So I was overusing mm. the invisibility power just to get through the tedious parts. Okay. And and that was, you know, it was tough for me because I'm like, oh, I, like this is really interesting. This is a cool game, but I have to be mm. taken out of it. You know, I have to overuse this this power just to to progress. And that was, mm. yeah. Yeah, that that's a little bit annoying. One thing that I noticed, and this is a common thing with a lot of... Uh, uh, third-person shooter games from this generation is that they use the the lock-on aiming method, which... Yeah, that's my other big problem with this game. <laughs> yeah, really common. Like, we talked about it on our James Bond episode and uh, several other games. Uh, but it's like, I think it's because that the PC version of this game uh, does not have lock-on mode mm. or something like that, and they had to make it for consoles, and they couldn't figure out how to do a mouse and keyboard with uh with the gamecube controller uh but anyway the it does this weird thing where like the aiming is even though you've locked onto the characters that you're trying to shoot at the bullets still kind of drift left and right and i hate that yeah because it's the further away that you go the less accurate you are i get that but like it's annoying like i know what i want to shoot at let me just shoot the guy yeah you have Um, to use the sniper rifle i i I found out that's mm. the only gun that actually works properly (laughs) every other gun becomes like the wee zapper because uh, you you go on the auto aim and then you're like oh, okay I'm gonna just like do it myself and then then it's just like whoa it's mm. flying all over the place and and <laughs> yeah that was that was also frustrating so this yeah. is a really tough game and frustrating game for me because it is so good in mm. in so many different regards and like the story the graphics the uh, some parts of the gameplay the um, like any time I get to the use of the telekinesis was so much fun throwing people around. Yeah. And it was is is really fun. And my favorite thing to do was to uh, levitate stuff and mm. watch the guards freak out, and they will run away. Yeah, that, that, that's why I got like like thought about it like like Geist. Like you yeah. get to do things where you get to kind of pos- that's more of a possession game, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, doing stuff like that, like having that ability to control your environment and manipulate things, it's why like some of the Star Wars games are so fun once you get to start to use the Force. Yeah. Um, the character models in this game are strange, though. Like, we talked a bit about that with Rogue Ops. And they look like time splitters, yeah. And they look like time splitters, which is fine. But I know what you're saying is that they're meant to be more caricatures and a bit more cartoony. Uh, like, things are kind of um, emphasized and exaggerated, I guess. They all look like uh, Hugh like... from uh, from Jimmy Neutron, Jimmy's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all do look a little bit like Hugh. The main character looks fine. He's kind of this guy with glasses or whatever. But there's a... Uh, a villain in the game that looks uh, we've talked a little bit about hitman agent 47 being a terrifying looking character but there's another guy in in this game who's kind of dressed a little bit like agent 47 he's got the black suit white tie or yeah. red tie white shirt <laughs> and uh, 
he looks a little scary too. Like he looks like he's been playing extra life for weeks and hasn't slept. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to get as much, he's trying to get as much coin as he can. For exactly. Exactly. So sometimes the, I get what the art style that the time splitters guy guys were going for. Uh, but sometimes it just looks a little bit too real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it's, I think just my last thoughts of it is that it's just a bit unpolished mm. Which is weird because Time Splitters gameplay is so polished, mm. and mm. and time because Time Splitters gameplay is so polished, but their story and like that the, those elements aren't as polished. Where Second Sight is the opposite; mm. they just need to put them together. Also, big thing: Time Splitters is so good because the multiplayer not in Second Sight. Right? Side. Yeah, that's missing. And I, I just want to say for a second too, uh, we like to talk about the box art of games and everything. Uh, this one is weird. This one looks like the minor threat guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say, like, what does this remind me of? And it reminds me of, like, an album, like a Disturbed or a Breaking Benjamin yeah. album. Uh, maybe without the gun, but, like... Very early 2000s look. It, yeah. it's, it's a bad cover. It's bad. Like, it's 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 hard to... T- it gives me nothing, right? No. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's a fun game. Like, it's a guy who's miserable <laughs> with, like... Yeah! It's a bald guy. He's, I'm assuming, naked or at least with no shirt on. And he looks like he's having a bad day. He's got a gun in his hands. He's looking down. He's had a bad day. <laughs> he's taken one down. <laughs> it's a Daniel Powders game. Great. <laughs> that, that's that. He had a bad day. He's, he's got to kill a bunch of people. But, Mike, I think this game is worth potentially looking into for for the folks out there so much so yep. that it's also fe- featured in a thousand and one video games to play before you die do oh. you ha- do you happen to have that uh, segment ready to go oh yes it is neil yes it is and i got right. it here cool uh more famous for turning out time splitters free radical design also made this thoughtful title with the studio's familiar rubbery face character design that's a good <laughs> way to, to that's great to describe it perfect and a focus on a complex playful narrative that saw the studio breaking new ground the game plays out both in the present and the past that unfold in the form of his returning memories, allowing the player to change the outcome of history, mm. rescuing colleagues who originally died. That is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And generally putting right what went wrong in the past. Plot lines converge eventually in a brilliant twist that will send shivers down your spine. I did not make it to the end. <laughs> uh, although Second Sight has all the hallmarks of a smart team working on a tight budget, Vatic's adventures will live on in your memory long after the game has been completed. Yeah, I think it's an interesting concept and it's a it bit is. of like it's a hidden gem that's just buried under other sci-fi games on the GameCube. Uh, it it also reminds me a bit of Eternal Darkness in that way, right? Yeah. Where it's like the idea is really really cool and and the, the it's executed well in some parts, but in other parts it falls really flat today. This is one of those games that I wish would come back as like a remake or just like a, a, a complete reboot. Like try this concept again and do it with like modern technology, better graphics, better third person controls. And the rights to Second Sight were actually purchased by THQ Nordic back in 2018. Oh. Uh, and this game specifically was listed on Steam just a year ago. So uh, if I had to guess THQ Nordic, they're better at making just remakes and remasters. I don't think that they would take Second Sight and make a sequel, but That's fine. Uh, a third sight would be excellent if they could make <laughs> a third sight game. I would just make a game with telekinesis and the ability to, you know, mind control and uh, control your environment. It'd be so cool. And it's a, I think... neat, a neat plot. And THQ Nordic, they can put out some pretty decent games. I know that they're almost like a joke now with the number of... <laughs> Uh, movie tie-ins and every license yeah, games license games and the amount of ip that they've bought in the last uh three or four years um you know make a second site sequel i think it could do pretty well today or just or just a remake honestly like this yeah. game has 
all the plot points like the everything is good in that regard it just the at the time they they honestly like the a thousand one said they didn't have the budget you right. know this was a tiny studio making making these games free radical design this was like eight guys from right. uh from rare who were making time splitters and then this game so the fact that it got made at all is a miracle mm-hmm. and you know they did their best i honestly believe that but yeah it just it's really tough to play this today yeah so i would love for thq nordic to to just remake it you know yeah. don't Please don't do a 13-style remake. Just make mm. a good remake. Make a good remake. <laughs> yeah, and add multiplayer, too. For the love of God, add yeah, multiplayer. Yeah. yeah, please. But let's hit the back of the case here and close out the episode. John Vatic awakens from a coma with no memory. What he does remember isn't pretty. A spec ops mission gone wrong. Capture. Bizarre brain experimentation. He also knows he possesses unimaginable powers. Paranormal. Psionic? Powers. I've never seen that word before. Armed with these abilities, Vatic must unravel the truth of his past and destroy the military conspiracy moving in against him. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Very nice indeed. So, Mike, that uh, wraps up the three stealth games that we have to talk about. Uh, so, were there any games that we talked about today, uh, I guess in the Hitman series or any of the other two games, that you'd recommend there that the uh, listeners pick up? Yeah, so Hitman 2 Silent Assassin for sure. Great mm-hmm. game. I think that's a that's a great own, and it's only 20 bucks. So... Mm-hmm. I think that's that would be a, a really nice purchase. But I would even, if you have a PS3 or um, I think it's Xbox 360 they put it on as well, I uh, would definitely recommend picking up the Hitman HD trilogy. Right. Uh, that includes uh, all three of those original games. It's it's a really good way to do it. And they did remaster uh, Hitman 2 Silent Assassin with that. You know, mm-hmm. just everything just up a bit. And it and it looks very nice. And I, I, I've been told it plays really well as well. So um would highly recommend that. Honestly, like any of the Hitman games are good. So yeah. like uh, almost all of them. And like Blood Money was, was Dylan's favorite. And he's played a lot more than I have. So mm-hmm. um, I'll take his word that Blood Money is a great game to pick up if you can. And the newest one, Hitman 3, uh, it just looks like a such a fun time. A mm-hmm. uh, couple friends of the show have it. They love it. I personally haven't picked it up. I don't know why. Just yeah. one of those games <laughs> that I haven't played. Maybe, like you said, I want to wait for a PS5. So, yeah, yeah would would recommend that, too. And the only one I probably would say no is don't pick up the first one. Just play everything else. Yeah. I, it, it's funny when you look at Hitman as a series and all of the ratings and reviews that it got. Like, most of the games other than the first game all rank between 80 and 90%. I think Hitman 3 is one of the higher ones. And Silent Assassin that we talked about today. So, yeah. uh, like we talked about, I don't know if the plot in these games is super important. It seems like it's really not. It's more just the gameplay. So, if you have a, a current-gen console Hitman 3 sounds like a really good game to pick up. Maybe if you want to go back and start with the 2016 game, that, that would be a, a good place to start. Um, I actually have a funny story about Hitman 2016 real quick before we sure. uh, before we pack it up. I worked at an EB Games, now it's GameStop, uh, back in 2016. And I remember somebody coming to the counter and uh, asking about Hitman, the new Hitman game, and asking about like when the next episode is coming out. And I had no idea what he was talking about because I didn't know anything about Hitman at the time. Uh, I didn't know that there was a new Hitman game. I didn't know I didn't know much about even like episodic games. The only episodic game that I had any touchstone to were the uh, Telltale, Telltale games. Yeah. yeah, Telltale was the only thing I knew doing. I knew who were doing uh, episodic games. I didn't think that any of like the AAA, you know, big uh, 3D games, the stealth games. I didn't know that they were doing episodic games, and I was just like, 
uh, I don't know, man, like we only have this one Hitman game here. And, and he was like, no, no, I got to wait for the next episode. And I guess he meant the next game, like, because I think that by that point, they had already released like everything from that Hitman one. Uh, so even like back then, there was so much confusion around yeah. how they were releasing Hitman. And it clearly it got that trilogy off to a bad start. I'm really thrilled after doing the research this week to see that they corrected themselves and were able to make a great trilogy because that one touchstone that I had with Hitman back in 2016 was like, Oh God, I guess it's not going so well for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really funny to hear, but yeah, Yeah. luckily they are on the right track. And of course, last thing for this episode, Neil, where do you see Hitman games going forward? Uh, We're going to talk about stealth Mm -hmm. games more. So we'll leave that for the next time we talk about stealth, but for Hitman uh, specifically, mm-hmm. where do you, where do you see that? I don't think that they're going to make a fourth one. Like it doesn't seem like that they're capable of making a fourth. I think that they're and just they're busy gonna... with James Bond. And they're busy with James Bond. IO Interactive specifically are making James Bond. But I, it's funny because IO Interactive have made only uh, like a dozen games or so, and eight of those games are Hitman games. The two of them being Kane and Lynch, one of them being Freedom Fighters, and the other ones like a. What, I Ninja or something or Mini Ninjas. Mini Ninjas was the <laughs> other one. So they're making a James Bond game. Uh, if if what they're doing with Hitman right now is any consolation, I think that this James Bond game is going to be well worth keeping an eye on and probably day one pickups for you and or I uh, mm-hmm. so we can play it together. I'm stoked for that. Uh, so I think that they're going to take a break from Hitman for the next couple of years to get that game out to put some media behind 007. Um, but really, they could come back with a Hitman subtitle anything and i think it's going to be at least good i think that they just need to know that they don't need to reinvent the wheel just make a decent stealth game that's not episodic uh and it'll be totally fine here's what they should do they should finally put (laughs) hitman code 47 what's the first one called hitman 47 codename 47 put that on switch let let, let nintendo fans finally know what happened before hitman silent assassin that's my answer yeah i would love to see the hitman trilogy hd come to the switch because like Mm. Just any any Hitman games on Nintendo consoles, like we said, haven't been there since uh, the GameCube. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel like this is the time, or at least it's it should be. Uh, I think you, know, you are right. There's a Hitman 2 maybe on, on the Switch. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, just bring it all. It's, it's all good. Bring it to the mm-hmm. Switch in some way. And yeah, I think they'll take a break, which is fine. Uh, yeah. Just don't make another movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> and you know what? It's IO Interactive who's d- developing it and publishing it now. So I think they're mm-hmm. in good hands. And I think whatever they put out next for Hitman will be uh, well-received. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hitman 3 is the biggest uh, stealth game on Switch. So whatever they do, as long as they put it on the N- Nintendo console, I'm I'm happy to see that. Yep. Uh, but Mike, while we're waiting for the next Hitman game and 007 game, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 81 of the GameCube was Cool podcast? On episode 81, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of platformers. We're talking about Frogger. We're Ooh. talking about TAC. Mm. Uh, and we're talking about Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. That's Great. a lot of T's. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just just a, a whole bunch of platformers that were on the GameCube that we got to go through. Some of them not very good. Uh, some of them surprisingly good. So uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be a fun time. These games were really loved back in the day. Like, everybody loved Mario. Everybody loved Sonic. Everybody loved Ratchet or whatever. But there were these lesser-known platforming games that uh, that came out, too. And they were they always felt like budget titles even back then. But uh, I think that a lot of people got these games as presents. Uh, you know, they got them in their stockings. They got them at birthdays from from ancestors or whatever it was. And they have fun. <laughs> ancestors. Well, they got them from what? What do you call them? It's just funny. Well, the ancestors oh. is like they're so- dead, right? <laughs> 
their dead great 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 grandparents came back from the dead to give them tie the Tasmanian tiger. They got these games from relatives who just knew that they were into video games and they needed a they needed a game to give them. And uh, people have fond memories of playing these games. Like we learned that there's people out there who love Spyro more than more than we do. So uh, I'm excited to dive deep into those games. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 80 of the Gamekeeper School podcast. We're now into our 80s. We have new episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Then you can follow us for free on Instagram at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Agent 47, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.